But as soon as you do that and you got other things that you're doing and you're not playing all the time, try to go back to a game you you dominated at one point and see how frustrating that exercise is. Except for Duck Hunt. You will always be a master Duck Hunt, Carlos. Well, I, I had drunken Duck Hunt. I might have blindfolded Duck Hunt. I can't promise you I didn't. I'm just saying, if, if, if Carlos ever you know, is now talking to somebody after this conversation and being like, hey, you know what? I know I'm past my video game prime, but hey, do you want to play some Duck Hunt? He is trying to hustle you. Well, if you're playing for money, you're damn right I am. So, Michael Jordan, listen. I can totally kill you at this duck hunt thing. We'll play for $500,000 a round. Carlos, why do you have a mansion? Thank Michael Jordan. You are listening to episode 53 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline, a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by a philosophical question. Now ask yourself, everyone. Do you want to be ambitious? Do you want to have dreams and hopes of the future? Or do you kind of want to do the opposite of that? Profound if you really think about it. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. Are you saying, do I want to be Jay Cutler? We'll have a discussion about who wants to be Jay Cutler, including Jay Cutler, on this very episode. But it is a profound statement, Dave. It do is. you want to do those things, or do you want to do kind of the opposite of that? Are you looking to do exactly the opposite of that, Carlos? I think a lot of people are. Yep. We'll talk about that. We'll also have a discussion more about the latest episodes. I think we're on episode five and six now of The Last Dance. That is correct. No Mariner documentary thing, because for whatever reason, SB Nation didn't have it up. So we Ooh. won't talk about it this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe it'll come up and then we can get it on the next episode. But, you know, fair enough. There'll be a little bit about UFC 249, the KBO playing games, which you can watch on Twitch. And a little bit discussion as well on. No, actually, that's it. Uh, we'll t- also be talking about Jay Cutler. I actually was looking through the notes and punching it in. And I was like, man, it seems like kind of a weird week. That's fair. I, I feel like you've given the people a very encapsulating note there about what they're about to listen to yes indeed so now everybody knows what's going on and we'll have timestamps more or less we've begun pretty good the last couple of weeks i would say at having timestamps in the show notes so that if you want to skip to a certain topic you're more than welcome to so dave how was this week what's going on had a couple of stories for you first of all i decided it was time i didn't want to do it but i decided it was time because it just had to be i cut my own hair and it was only a semi-disaster uh-huh. Uh huh. Meaning that whenever I go in public now, I'm wearing a hat. Yes. Okay. And how did you? How did you uh, attempt to? There, there's. I, I, there are some methods here. And by the way, I have a. I have a flowing mane myself. And the thing is, I've got the Spanish fro going on, where it always grows up, and it gets to be a bit unmanageable because I have very thick hair. Which so I may have to figure out some kind of a thing. But what method did you employ? What did you do to cut your own hair? I tried to. I mean, I saw a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of my coworkers posting on Facebook how they just yeah. basically do the buzz cut which is easy and you know obviously it's probably the easiest other than shaving your head outright it's the easiest haircut you can give yourself uh i was like i don't really want to do that but we'll see i mean there's still time uh but what i decided is i'm gonna do my hair as close to what i get at the barber as i think i can but the problem was my i have like a like a shaver the adjustable that you can Mm -hmm. use adjustable lengths so I used that, but I realized that the outlet in the bathroom doesn't actually work. It did when we moved into the house. It doesn't anymore. So I got to check that out. Uh, but Hashtag new homeowner problems. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it didn't work. So I would shave part of it, and then it wasn't really going to the other thing. I was like, uh. so then I got some Cutco scissors. That's right. Which are like super heavy duty. will cut through anything scissors and just like chopped off a bunch of my hair. And then because kind of like, you know, I'd cut off some hair and be like, does that look horrible? Kind of, okay, well, maybe if we cut off this bit to a point where I was like, okay, that's short enough that it's not going to piss me off anymore. 
And you know what? The good thing about hair is it always grows back. Eventually, I will get it looking good again by a professional. Interesting. Interesting. Um, And what did you do to address the back? Uh, I So what I did is I used that same razor uh-huh. Uh-huh. sparingly. Uh, I did charge it eventually and get back into it a bit. And I got my wife to say, like, can you make this look not horrible at the back? Ah, well, did you have visual evidence oh. of this or are you just taking your word for it? <laughs> oh, I, I did go to the mirror. I, I used my phone in the mirror as a co- like combination to be I, able I to see. see the back. You know what? If that's the only part of people that see, like if I'm wearing a baseball cap or something, that's fine. I'm cool with that. And yeah, until like it's safe to go to the barber, I'm fine with, you know, doing what you can. And I might eventually go down to the buzz cut anyway, now that I've been able to charge the shaver. So we'll see. Uh, but that's what we've got for now. So that's story number one. What else you got? Story number two is I I, I made a foolhardy decision, Carlos. Just one? <laughs> I See, I knew that was coming. But yes, in this case, just one. Or maybe two. We'll see as the story goes. But it's been somewhat nicer. Although I was going to say, we are in Canada. So, we got, so just so everybody understands, we got two relatively lovely days, including the one Dave... Dave tried to make fun of my sunglass wearing to get my to my mailbox. It's like several feet. It's you know it's unacceptable. But we that was a nice day, and I think we also had another nice day in short order, and we might have had a decent day this week. And then back to chilliness. Yeah. So I decided I would go for some bike rides, and I went for like a mountain bike ride uh, through Path, which is really nice. Uh, that runs not too far from my home, and then eventually goes kind of into the middle of nowhere, which is kind of interesting. So that was good. But then I decided, okay, I'm gonna get the road bike out, do some road cycling, and I'm gonna go down this massive hill. Wait, which question. was really fun. Do you, so you have a mountain bike separate from the road bike. So like you've got the regular kind of BMX style mountain bike, traditional that I would be like thinking about. And then you've got like the one with the really thin wheels. Is that the deal? That is correct. Yes. Go on. And and so I took the road cycle out. And, and the thing is, there is nowhere in water down that you can go without having to go up a massive hill at some point. You know, if you're going to go for any kind of ride at all, at some point in time, in in the not too distant future of your ride, you're gonna have okay. to go up a massive hill. So I decided to go down the massive hill, which was really fun, uh, and you know, and saw some really cool like landscape that I haven't seen in in our in the area here. And then I was like, okay, I gotta get back up. And I'm like, you know what? I haven't been riding for a while, and my stamina is not at the place where I can do this hill. So it's like I would ride for a bit, and then we get off and walk for a bit, and then try and ride for a bit. And obviously, needless to say, by the time I got home, I was one, apparently unable to type text messages that are coherent to you or at least proper spelling. And I was super out of breath. And like I walked in, I'm like, <sighs> I'm always like, what the hell is wrong with you? But uh, that basically those two events, so that and the haircut sum up my week. That was uh, that was very exciting. Uh, it was harrowing. Uh, I, 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 there were ups, there were downs. No, like literally ups, uphill. And there were downs. I was like mostly downs. Or mostly up, depending on how you, yeah, you know, yeah. want to phrase uh, it. I, I got to say, like, this tale that you gave me is definitely your Magnus Opum. Yes. And the, the sad part is, so the Magnus Opum is the typo that he's, like, referencing. And the thing is, the, the text message that I got was mostly coherent. And to be honest, the part that shocked me was not, was not the typo. The part that shocked me was the rest of it seems to be mostly coherent. But it was that the, the one thing you misspelled was somehow you turned Magnum Opus into Magnus Opum. And I would like to hear more about the Magnus Opum. Yeah, yeah. But the listeners don't, so 
Sorry. I was I was hoping you'd teach us and g- give us more information. Anyway, fair enough. Uh, my week was pretty straightforward. Now now things are ratcheting up at work, which means now there is more work to be done. And being a contractor, Friday was nuts. Uh, Friday, I definitely put in like an 11-hour day, 11, 12-hour day, realistically. I did take some breaks in there to knock it down, but it... It wouldn't have been the case had it not been for everything being like, okay, so by the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, we need to load this information to the system. And they go, sounds reasonable. We spent the day setting everything up. But then it's it's something in technology, which means something will always go wrong. And I knew that. And I, that's why traditionally, it, you know, everybody does things differently. I like to take on these types of tasks on the end of day Thursday. Reason being, if something goes catastrophically wrong, You've got all of Friday to fix it. Which is a solid idea. Yeah. In this case, we're all sitting there like, none of us want to go into the weekend. So realistically, we could have tried, oh yeah, let's come reconvene on Saturday. I'm like, hell no. I I want my Saturday. So I'm like, all right, look guys, we're going to have to just suck it up and deal with it and get this thing fixed. And it resulted in a bunch of tries, a bunch of errors, fixing this. And then we find another problem underneath and it's just that kind of thing. And by the time we were done, it was about 8.30 and finally I got to go have some food, uh, have some dinner. But before I did that, I had to go and explain, like, look, guys, if we're going to if we're going to avoid this problem, this is what we got to do. So now we got to change all our processes to make sure that they don't create this problem again, because I suspected something like that would be a problem. But you don't know until you try. And it made a long week longer. So it basically killed me. I still wanted to get stuff done on Friday. So Friday evening. So coming into Saturday, today, most of the day has been shot. It was basically me trying to rest up and then getting some errands done grabbing some food and then onto the podcast to talk with every lovely person. But for the most part, yeah, there was that. And then there's also just the fact the weather was crummy. I suppose yeah. the only good thing that came out of all of it was that um, while I was here, I, I got some mail, got some stuff for the memorabilia collection, which is fun. That keeps me entertained. It keeps me sane, but it was a long week. This one's been a long week. Well, at least you can, you know, at least the podcast listeners know that you are loyal, Carlos. I feel that's probably the most important thing that came out of that discussion. That I'm what? That you are loyal. To? The podcast listener, right? <laughs> this, this is the easiest thing I do. The Editing this is the is the toughest thing I do. So I'll share with everybody a little story. I was explaining to Dave earlier that, um, you know, our Opus Magnum uh, from last week basically was a, a comfortably a two-hour recording epic. It was this long thing where I, I thought it was a very good podcast. It turned out quite well. It was a very good podcast. And yeah. hopefully we don't go anywhere near that today. Yeah, I would rather not. But the point is that part of the reason it came off so well is that it result it required a marathon editing session. And without going too far behind the curtain, because most people don't need to know, but the, no matter what, if you've got a two-hour audio file, in this case, two of them, and you want to merge them into one and make it make cohesive sense so that it sounds like we're actually talking to each other and not at each other, you have to go and edit the thing down. The thing is, it also takes, you have to listen to it all the way through from beginning to end so that you can pick up on all the spots. I like to edit it on the fly and make the adjustments. Well, there was a point in the last podcast that actually sounded perfectly fine in the version you all got to hear. But for some reason, Dave was able to go on for 10 uninterrupted minutes and contradict himself about three or four times. And what you heard was an amalgamated version of Dave's wisdom comprised into one cohesive answer. And then you get to hear me immediately reply. So it sounds like we're having a conversation when I'm not entirely convinced that I didn't fall asleep for 10 minutes. Yeah. But I mean, that is the magic of editing, Carlos. It's truly the magic of editing. and you, one other story I'll give you that I didn't tell you the first time is that during one component of it, we were both literally talking at the same time. So it, it was completely incoherent. However, 
because each each track was recording separately. I basically took the two pieces of conversation and separated them out so you could hear them separately. So it sounded like we were just replying to each other. Thus is the magic of editing, my friends. That's what we bring you here. Magic. Every week. So no matter so no matter what happens, Dave, we could fix it in post. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, so that was that was the week. Hopefully uh, next week will be a little bit a little bit nicer. We're 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 now into May. We're going to be heading into the middle of May, and I think um, correct me if I'm wrong because I I'm terrible with the calendar. I think after next week we get the long weekend. I believe that is correct. Yeah, so we're going to have that coming up. So we'll have that to look forward yes, to. Because is you know, long Monday? weekends mean so much different in this day and age. Well, they do, they do for me because it means I don't even have to try to pretend to stay awake during the working day. Well, that's fair. Yeah, so it gives me a chance to sleep in during the working day, Dave. So it does make a little difference for me. A little fair enough. enough. Fair enough. From that perspective, being at home is easy for me, but it's just uh, having to have the routine during the week. If I get an extra day where I get to sleep in a little bit, that's a bonus for me and I'll take it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that sounds good. Uh, so let's get into this a little bit. Uh, there's a couple of topics we want to talk about. So I'll lead, I'll lead the way on this one, Dave. And the first story I want to talk about is what I referenced in our little intro. Dave, based on the way this world goes and the times that we're in, how can we ever believe in true love ever surviving if Jay Cutler's getting divorced? You know what? I was heartbroken, Carlos. No, Dave, I was heartbroken, but it was funny as hell. Well, my thing here is it came out this week that uh, Jay Cutler, former Chicago Bears quarterback, former Denver Broncos quarterback, former Miami Dolphins quarterback, and his like super hot wife, Kristen Cavallari, are getting divorced. And to my reply to this was, dude, it's Jay Cutler. How did you not know everything that was wrong with him when you got married? Because the rest of the world did. No, the thing is, uh, I thought it was hysterically funny because Jay Cutler is one of my favorite. Like, I- I've turned around on Jay Cutler. Like, I really didn't like Jay Cutler for the longest time. Although it was very funny when I described his douchebaggery, and then like we were watching a live telecast, and literally as I finished explaining his douchebaggery, he he winks at the camera, and we just start cackling. That was because- honestly the most well-timed thing that has ever happened in your entire life, Carlos. Ever. That, that's doubtful, but it's it's in the top five. But the uh, but the reality is like it was beautiful. Like I literally at the moment I finished, I, I couldn't have edited it in the podcast to that brilliantly like beautiful to the second I just finished explaining this and boom, here's the payoff right away. It, it was magnificent. For the most part, like I've enjoyed this Jay Cutler in the reality TV mode. And I find it very ironic that uh that is what that his wife, tuned to be ex-wife, Kristen Calvary, doesn't didn't number one, didn't understand somehow even though his entire body of work indicates that Jay Cutler is not exactly a highly motivated individual. He was a talented individual, and no matter what you want to say, he had to be because here's the thing. Jay Cutler made over $100 million in the National Football League. I I don't care. Like This is a league where money's not guaranteed. They can cut you for any damn reason they want. And for some reason, somehow, this man managed to latch on and hang in there long enough to make $100 million, including $10 million in his last year with the Miami Dolphins after he had already retired, where they paid him $10 million to come out of retirement. From what I understand, and like, there's not a lot of articles on the, there's some articles on this, but they're all kind of vague. And truthfully, it's celebrity gossip at this point, and I don't really care that much. But apparently the bone of contention is that she got frustrated that he's kind of lazy and unmotivated. And the thing is, there's a clip that I shared with Dave a long, while, long time ago that I referenced at the beginning of the podcast where literally she's like asking this question, like, you know, what do you want to do now that you retire? And he's like, and she's like, well, do you want to like work on this stuff or do this kind of thing? He goes, well, work is like, I'm kind of looking to do the opposite of that. 
And it's a beautiful clip. Like, it's magnificent. And if I can find it, I'll, I'll insert it into the podcast because I got to find audio on this because it's just too good. So have you thought about when you do get bored, what you're going to do? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, maybe you should. not really looking to do a lot of work right now. Looking to do the exact opposite of that. But the reality is, like, it's this isn't new. <laughs> you you kind of no. have to know what you're getting into this. That is the life of celebrities, right? Yeah. And I, it, the thing is, I actually, you know, jokes aside, I, I would kind of get her frustration. But at the same time, it's it's interesting because the um, her current reality show was kind of based around her, you know, her business is for sure, but also her relationship with Jay Cutler. And Jay Cutler is a reality TV character is brilliant. Like that, that little audio highlight that I just referenced to you that hopefully I was able to play um, kind of summarizes that in a nutshell. Like the the adventures of Jay Cutler in and of themselves would be an interesting thing. And I guess it just came, uh, I guess the conclusion really was that she was frustrated that he didn't pursue like, you know, what a lot of players do in their post-game career, like a media job. And he had a media job going into prior that he let that he basically left to go and play for that one year for the Miami Dolphins and make the extra 10 million. But I guess maybe this is more of a philosophical question because truthfully, there's not a lot more to talk about on the story. But let me ask you this, Dave. I guess, is there an amount of money that you could have that would be so much that you would basically lose all motivation to work? Of course. I'm sure there is. Like I would think that if you're in a place where you have a roof over your head and you have enough money that can pay for everything you'd want to do, or like, let's say all your bills are paid, done, right? Property taxes, your mortgage is paid off, and you know you didn't have to worry about food because that was being taken care of or whatever. There would be a point, I think, where you'd be like, why Why am I working? Because I don't need, to, you know, unless you were in a job that obviously that, you know, you're really just doing it for fun. You're not doing it for the money. That's a different story. That was kind of the direction I was trying to take that question because, because as maybe a surprise to you and other people, there is no amount of money where it would demotivate me from working. I have jobs where I was demotivated, not because of the money, although the money was crummy. The reason I was demotivated is because I didn't like the job and I didn't want to do what we were doing or what they wanted me to do. If I get to do whatever I want to do, then I don't really care. I'll happily keep working. That, that part makes no difference to me. The amount of money I have is not going to change or alter that. What it means is it means I may not require, I may not need to squeeze every last dime out of the job because I'm literally just doing it for my own entertainment. Or if you take somebody like, like a Jay Cutler who has $100 million, well, you could just kind of work for yourself and you could just find a project that interests you and just pursue that. Yeah, absolutely. Because at that point, you get to choose what you want to do. The The upside of having that much money and being that secure financially is that it means you don't have to if you don't want to. And that applies to like everything. Working, you know, or type of work that you wanted. Guess what? If it doesn't interest you, okay, I'm bored. We're done. I'm leaving. And then you go do something else. Most people don't have that luxury. And that was the position he found himself in. But clearly, Jay Cutler wanted to take that even a step further and go, you know, there is literally nothing I want to do other than just whatever it is I feel like doing, whether it makes money or not. Exactly. Yeah, from that perspective, I can get that she might be frustrated because she clearly enjoys hustling because um, it creates this interesting situation where she's got her own business. I assume the business is doing okay and the reality show helped bolster that profile of the business in a certain way because a lot of those folks, because I think she started originally from the hills, I think. That is correct. Yeah, I, and I don't really watch those shows, but I know of them. Or was it Laguna but Beach, which was like a precursor to the hills? I can't remember. But she was on one of those shows and eventually you know, got her own show and then met Jay Cutler and then became more famous for that. And then obviously got another show. And I mean, she's doing quite well for herself too. Let's not let's put that out of context, right? 
Yeah, no. And the thing is, but then from that perspective is obviously she sees interest in finding other projects and other things to do. And different people are motivated different ways. And I guess it makes sense that if somebody's really driven and motivated, it would be incredibly frustrating to have somebody who just doesn't care. Yeah. But in a nutshell, Jay Cutler's life is, I just don't care. His epitaph will be, I just didn't care. <laughs> and that's what I would put on his gravestone. Which I think is appropriate. Yeah. So anyway, enough celebrity talk. We're not doing e- We're not doing e-talk here. Uh, but I did want to talk about it a little bit because it just made me chuckle. And I'm, I'm very disappointed because now on the reality show, now mind you, I didn't watch the reality show. But the point is that, you know, if I was watching the reality show, I don't need to watch the show now. My favorite character got killed off. What the heck? Exactly. Exactly. Screw this crap. All right. So let's talk about a couple of other things here. And then we'll get the last dance will be the last segment that we'll do here. Let's talk a little bit about 249, UFC 249. Can I boycott this conversation? You can, you can boycott it if you want. I will say that it is... You know, a lot of what I said last week still stands. I think it's 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 a well-packed card, but I do find it very interesting and very funny. I will say that Dana White spent the last little while uh, coming up here and now into the last stages of the scrum, complaining a lot about the coverage. I need to look into it and get more details, but I believe, from what I understand, at least one of the fighters and maybe a trainer, somebody contracted the uh, you know COVID-19 virus. And obviously, the, he got questioned on that, and he was complaining and whining about you know the the media being really negative and whatever, but it's like one of those things like I would be very, I will be very shocked if some other thing doesn't come out of this or some other thing doesn't happen as a result of this show. And I'm still going to stay, stick with what I originally said. It's ill-advised. It's a poor idea. I don't see any way that it couldn't potentially lead to either something bad happening on this show or getting a false sense of confidence leading to another show or potentially a false sense of confidence leading into Fight Island! Yeah. Yeah, I backed away from the microphone a little there just to just to protect your your sensitive earlobes. But you got you got the gist of what I was saying. The point is that if if something bad happens on this one, that's bad. But if but if it gives you a false sense of confidence thinking, okay, we pulled this off without with relatively minor hitches, we're good to go. I think that confidence is misplaced because I really don't think Dana White has us as locked down as he thinks he does. And anything that lets him delude himself further, I think, is more damaging than good for the fighters, for the sport, for himself, for everybody involved. Correct. I agree. I would agree with you there. So really, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, I will probably catch a little bit of the undercard um, because from that perspective, I'm still a fight fan and I'm interested. I'm just not going to pay for the pay-per-view. It's one of those things like I'll watch it for the mediums that I have available to me because there are some fights that interest me, but I would not patronize the business directly in terms of my funds. And that's just kind of the angle that I'm taking on it. It's fair. I will not be watching any of it, but that is where I'm coming from. I, I don't think you watch a lot of it when I'm not getting you to watch it anyway. This is true. But I do. Yeah. I, I've never not enjoyed it when I did watch it. Yeah, it's one of those things. You're either into it or you're not. And you can be casually into it or not. And th- there's different perspectives on it. And they're all fair. But it's it's one of those things. I am a fan and I do have Fight Pass and all that. And I'll continue to enjoy Fight Pass. And I think there's still a wealth. I have barely even tapped into the little bit of the library that is available to that. And maybe some point down the road in a couple of months when UFC 249 is on Fight Pass, maybe I'll check it out then. But right now, it's not that pressing. I find that... um And actually, maybe this is a more interesting topic playing off of this, Dave. I find that although I miss sports and although I kind of would love to see some live stuff, I'm not really missing it as badly as I think some people are. I'm like, okay, yeah, I feel like I've got stuff to do and I feel like I've got stuff to watch and I feel like there's plenty of other things to keep my attention. Yeah. You know what? Let let me put it this way. Uh, And and sort of I agree with you, right, that you have stuff to do. And 
you know, we made the comment, I don't know if we made it on air or off air several weeks ago, but how basically, you know, there's no live sports right now and we're not hard up for content to talk about on this podcast. I mean, yeah, we talk about, you know, sort of how our daily lives are going during these times more than we did before, but we're not hard up for content otherwise. You know, we talked for, like you said, over two hours in our recording last week and, you know, 90% of that conversation was sports. As long as there's sports content, I'm I'm good. I'm enjoying watching replays. I'm enjoying watching the documentaries. You know what? I was never a big hockey guy anyway, so I don't miss hockey. And I don't really miss... I miss basketball. That's the only thing I actually miss. But I don't miss baseball, even though I like baseball as a sport, probably one of my most liked sports. But because it hasn't started, you know, because it hasn't hadn't already begun, I don't feel like it's been taken away from me. You know, and I may feel differently as we go along. And, and right now, I might not umpire this summer uh, because, you know, Little League's been canceled and the Little League World Series has been canceled, etc. But right now, it's, you know, that hasn't happened so there or hasn't begun. So therefore, I don't feel I'm missing out. Right. And we'll see how that goes the further down the line we get, obviously. But right now, that's where I'm at. No, that's fair. I think less so than the Major League Baseball product, because I've explained before that I'm I'm lukewarm on the Major League Baseball product these days. In the regular season, in the postseason, different conversation, different animal. I'm still into it for sure. But it's one of those deals where like what I really miss more than anything else would be checking out like an intercounty baseball game or even a minor league baseball game where an inter an intercounty baseball game, I don't think it's gonna happen this year. But if if it was in a situation where you feel like you could make it work with social distancing involved, listen, man, I'm happy to sit in a section with people like 10 feet away from me and being able to just sit down and watch the game. I would happily do that. That would be no problem for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bring snacks and a drink and I'll sit down and I'll watch some baseball. Still good quality baseball. And I'd enjoy myself for an afternoon. No problem. And it's one of those things where it, I think it's just the big crowds where I don't think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a while before we get that kind of thing again. And to be honest, I was never that big a fan of big crowds around me in the first place. No, for sure. Got an awesome segue here. I want to make one other point because even Adam Silver has said that, you know, there may not be even stand, people in the in the 2020, 2020, 2021 season. They still may be going without fans. So we don't know what this is going to look like down the road. Yeah, and the thing is the NBA, and we talked about this a little bit, but the NBA and the NFL have the biggest runway to be able to pull this off without people in the stands. Because yes, it's lost revenue, but the TV revenue offsets a lot of that. That's why we, when we had that conversation last week, and I explained to everybody that you know I edited the last podcast, and Dave actually talked for 55 straight minutes, and I think I was snoring during part of it. But during the CFL conversation, they cannot afford to do that. They do not have that luxury. Their TV deals, if they can't produce a product, and they can't put butts in the seats who are paying for tickets, the CFL is really hard no. up. At that point, they are basically begging for anybody to like string them along and throw some money their way because otherwise the, the business makes no, no money. And Ambrosi has said that he thinks the most likely scenario for this season is there is no season for the CFL. And who knows what that actually means long term. But that's one of the reasons they're asking the government for money. And I think as far as the long term prospects, that would be problematic for them because... In reality, I think for a lot of the owners, they would lose less money not having a season than actually running a season, and that's not a good way to run a business. No, not at all. So we're not going to delve all the way back into that one, but I did think it was interesting that, yeah, as time has gone on like this thing, I think, I hope that most people who have been listening or watching or whatever have been taking the opportunity. This is an opportunity to reassess what matters to you the most. Now, obviously, if you're a person who's starved for sports and dying of it, well, you know, I sympathize and I feel for you in that regard. But like I said, I feel like there's a lot of things that can be done. 
if that's uh, what you're going to do. Obviously, there's more important things to concern about with other people, but I'm just talking about from an entertainment perspective. I feel like there's still a lot. I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe I'm weird, but like I feel like there's still plenty to keep you entertained. And Dave's point earlier about us talking more about ourselves and about like random stuff and going on some tangents. Here's the thing. When sports comes back, guys, I'm keeping it. <laughs> like That part is more fun to me. I'll still talk about games that are going on or maybe interesting things, but I think there's going to be a little bit less of that. There'll be like, it'll be like this episode. There'll be like three or four specific things that we'll talk about. And then general idiocy. Well, I mean, you got to keep up with the unnecessary nonsense name to begin with. That's for sure. Great. So let's uh, have a little discussion. One more thing that I want to talk about before we get to the Last Dance episode. Our good friends over in Korea, the KBO is available on Twitch and obviously local Korean television. So they're playing games, but for the international audience, you can check out games on Twitch. There's two parts that I want to talk about this uh, about, Dave. Number one, what do you think about the KBO play, uh, figuring out a way to play some games over there in Korea? And then we'll talk about the Twitch part after. But let's talk about the KBO part first. Well, I think it goes to the, the point that the Korean government seems to have things figured out in terms of testing. And that's why that's a large reason, not the only reason, but that's a large reason that this can happen. Whereas it does not seem that the North American governments are at a point where that can happen over here. But I, I applaud them for, you know, what seems to be a safe way to do it. Obviously, you take a wait and see approach to make sure that it's actually working. But if that's a way that can happen, that's great. And, you know, it gives people content. So if you're starved up for baseball, right? Like it's, in a, it's one of those things, right? And we've talked about this a lot when we talk for pretentious cross-country running. But if you like to sport, you like to sport. And if it's the only thing available to you now, right, there is no other baseball league you can watch. So if you want to watch some baseball, why not give it a chance? I mean, Twitch is really easy to to get on and watch. I, I say go for it. And I don't have an issue with it happening. And I'm not going to boycott it. I'm not going to make a point of saying, oh, I'm going to watch a game. or I'm, you know, But if it happens to be on or I'm looking for something to do and there's a game on, then that's sure. I think it's worth checking out. Okay. I have a legitimate question that you just brought up with your statement. I have no issue with anything you just said until that very last piece at the end. I have a question. You just said, I'm not going to boycott it. Can you boycott something you didn't watch before? Well, I mean, I'm... I'm. Is that even a thing? Possibly. I'm alluding to it in... Well, <laughs> look, put it this way. Well, tell me the same thing. We we both, for different reasons, boycotted uh, the Super Bowl, the Rams-Patriots uh, Super Bowl. Yes, but hold on, hold on. You, you're, you're, you're saying a good example. You're saying a good example, but hold on. Boycotting is that I would have watched it previously had it not been for the two for the crummy matchup. I traditionally watched the Super Bowl and I watched all the Super Bowls in my lifetime, you know, since, you know, I was like eight or 10 up until that point. And then I watched the one after. Fair enough. So it's fair like, enough. Yeah. But I mean, could you say then on the on the whole UFC thing that you're boycotting <laughs> it because you don't think it's an essential service, but you wouldn't have watched it anyway? So therefore, well, in this case, with the UFC one, a valid question with the UFC one, though, I'm not exactly boycotting it because now we're talking about pay-per-view. Like now I have to go out of my way and pay. So I don't buy every UFC pay-per-view, but I'll buy the ones that um, I'll buy the ones that interest me where the card is interesting. Under normal circumstances, if we were not in the circum, you could sort of say I'm boycotting it because under normal circumstances, I would probably have bought this one because of the strength of the card. But the conditions on the ground led to the strength of the card. So it's kind of a, it's this weird like chicken or the egg thing. The card would not have been the strong to make it worth potentially buying had it not been for the pandemic. Oh, fair enough. 
So it's it's it's. I get your point. Your your second your UFC example I think is a more interesting one, and I think that's more valid. But it was it was just it was just like I said, it was just the verbiage of it. I I I want to have a real discussion with the with the rest of the people. And by the way, folks, if you've got comments, you know, throw them in wherever they are. Maybe in the YouTube uh, comment section, or you know, put a comment in there somewhere. I would genuinely love to know if it's even possible, like preemptively boycott something you've never watched or something you had or you had no intention of watching up until the point it was brought to your attention. Well, I don't. Which would be kind of cool. I don't know. I don't know, right? I mean, the, you're boycotting because you're protest. You're withdrawing something, so you're withdrawing your viewership technically, uh, potentially because you're like, hey, sports league shouldn't be running right now. I think I personally am going to go on the side of I think it's still officially by the definition of boycott counts, but I get but your point is well taken. So we'll see what the listeners have to say. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but yeah, it, either way, though, I do think I love that they're implementing utilizing and I think some of it is out of necessity, but I love that they're utilizing technology because now we're at a great age where Twitch is a viable platform. And I think it's interesting that Twitch is kind of allowing and have leaned into the possibility of live sports showing up on Twitch, which I think is great. That that sets them apart from YouTube because YouTube has a lot of stuff and a lot of content, obviously, including live content. But uh, Twitch is more traditionally known for the streaming aspect of it. But it is fascinating that you could have, um, and the KBO has multiple Twitch channels. So you can obviously subscribe to it. And if a game's going to be on, you know, you get a little notification, which is kind of cool. Obviously, you know, production values are going to be what they are. But I think I, I caught a little bit of a game just for a couple of minutes just to watch it. Obviously, it's in Korean. So if you don't understand the language, you're going to have a bit of a language barrier there. But baseball is baseball. And if you're interested in obviously they're in a different time zone as well. So I'm j- I'm probably not going to watch many games live, but I'll catch a game or two, I think, here. Just just as something kind of interesting to throw off. And the other thing you have also that's kind of an interesting aspect and element to it from a live sporting perspective, if you're able to watch live, is that you do have a chat. So you can actually have a chat window, obviously, again, in Korean, but you can have a chat window where the fans can interact while they're watching the event, which is kind of an interesting um, kind of an interesting contrast in the interactivity where I I'm surprised that the other sports leagues, even if they if and when they come back, I don't know necessarily they'll have the ability to offer this kind of thing, but maybe they should think about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because if you're not going to have the NBA games with fans and stuff. What if you had a live stream with a with a working chat? Yeah, that could also work. You could get some people trash talking each other on there. Obviously, you're going to need a lot of moderation because uh, you know people will go off the deep end. But um, if you're able to do that reasonably, it could make kind of it could make for a watch party. Like you know, people can be sitting there and watching the game and kind of interacting in the chat, and it's something. I think one of the things that's going to be a bigger thing, and I haven't seen too much of it yet, Dave. But I'm throwing this out right now. All right. I think there's going to be more of a thought process of people uh, having, you know, maybe you normally would have friends over to watch a game. Zoom watch parties. Yeah, I think that will probably be a thing. Yeah, you could have a live feed so that you're basically making fun of each other or whatever, uh, interacting while the game's on the TV and everybody's watching from their place. Yeah, definitely. I would not be shocked whatsoever if that really becomes more of a thing once uh, some of these other leagues start getting going because some of the fans are like well normally i'd go to the pub and hang out but i can have my drink i can have my food and i can still yell at my friends on on my screen yeah you're still getting everything you want really like and it's a little bit less clean up if you're the one hosting the party normally yeah absolutely win-win but yeah uh just kind of an interesting thing not a lot more to say on it but we got a couple of minutes of discussion on it and a couple of angles I, I i'm thinking that zoom uh watching party with the games is going to be an interesting thing we'll we'll see how that one plays out i'm thinking it's it's going to be a big thing 
We may have to get one of those done depending on how the things go and when the seasons get started up again. KBO Zoom party! We could. <laughs> It'd be KBO Zoom party on uh, on a replay. Three o'clock in the morning! You know I could do that. Uh, no, yeah, actually, three. actually, the one on replay would be funnier because what if we're what if we're commenting and reacting to two completely different games? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I don't see in what way we could lose on that one. Yeah, there there are only winners here. There are no losers. Correct. All right. So excellent. I think that's good, and I think that leaves us with plenty of opportunity and time. Let's have a discussion, Dave. Let's talk about episode five and episode six of The Last Dance. Now, I think you were saying earlier that you have a couple of notes. So why don't we go through whatever you got and I'll respond to that. And if I've got any other thoughts, I'll throw them in as well. Okay. So the one of the things that I would like to mention, so there's a few things I want to talk about that actually aren't part of the actual footage, but I, I felt are, are fairly interesting points to bring up. So I actually went and I've looked up the director because I, w- I was interested in, you know, like, what has this guy done, Right. And he's actually done some really good other good films that I think are worth mentioning. He did the ESPN documentary, The Five. It's about the Michigan college basketball team. That team had uh, Chris Weber on it, had Jalen Rose on it. He's also done three 30 for 30 films, uh, 85 Bears, Down in the Valley, and Bernie and Ernie. And for you, Carlos, he was also uh, directed eight episodes of USC Primetime from 2010 to 2013. Oh, UFC Primetime. Yes. Okay, I thought you said USC primetime. I'm like, why no, would I care UFC. about that? Oh, okay, gotcha. Now that that makes a little bit more sense. No, I did. I was familiar a little bit because I did. I took your recommendation and I listened to the Jalen Jacoby podcast. They're doing their own reactions to the different episodes, and they have the director on there. They got some good tidbits. Yeah, they have. A, I think it is. I think it's kind of cool though. Like clearly, Jalen uh, likes the guy, so they have a good relationship, which is nice. And they did reference the Fab Five thing, so that's cool. I, I I've seen. I think I've seen that episode. And like his style is interesting. And I think I did like that they took their own angle on it to also talk about some of the intricacies of how they got it done. And then um, it answered a lot of the questions that I initially asked, uh, kind of asked out loud about how the documentary was done, his interactions with Michael Jordan and kind of how they get responses. He did. I don't want to go too much into the Jalen Jacoby one, but I did uh, get find interesting that they mentioned that, you know, Jordan basically offers notes like everybody else, like an executive producer, so to speak. But he would be an executive producer with veto power, realistically. But at the same time, they kind of just get notes from Jordan and they were kind of creating the episodes going along and they get to see the rough cuts and they decide like, okay, you know what? I'm not so keen on this. And I did like that Michael Jordan also gave some input, pointing out like, hey, I think you should talk a little bit more about this because this might be kind of interesting. So in that sense, uh, you know, while I say there's always going to be a bias because Jordan does have a lot of say in what goes on in this, he can also add context and he can also add some notes that could potentially be helpful and make it better in other ways. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, I just do do love the story they bring up there on the podcast about how he got the interview with Phil Jackson. He ended up going to the wrong house and they went to the house next door. And then he basically got Phil Jackson basically slammed the door in his face. Hey, listen, I, I, if you're Phil Jackson, are you just going to randomly accept something? Clearly, the point of that story was that they can't directly reach the guy. They weren't able no, to that's, speak that's to Phil the Jackson. That's the best part, right? The best part is that he never actually um, contacted Phil Jackson directly. He had to go through a whole bunch of intermediaries to get to him, which I think is fascinating. Correct. And at that point, though, like if you're Phil Jackson, you you could potentially just have some random dude come up to your house and claim that he wants to interview you. Like, you don't know who he is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I I kind of get that, but it does make for a good, excellent story. And again, it tells you, though, 
so this is separate from the Last Dance documentary. Mind you, the Last Dance backs this up. Can we just agree that this Bulls team, with a lot of these players, the coaches, and a lot of the people involved, all fucking weird? Yes, of course. Just really weird people. Michael Jordan is weird. Scottie Pippen is relatively normal, but he had some interesting. Dennis Rodman is weird. Phil Jackson is weird. You know, Krause is weird. Like, they're all just very strange individuals. Which makes for great TV. It does. It does. All right. What else you got on the last dance? Let's talk. Um, well, the other thing I would I would mention that, that this reminds me. So this, the whole buildup of these the last couple episodes is basically building to the first Jordan retirement, and it made me think uh, because on my PVR right now is another document which I already watched, but I'm going to watch again. Uh, the ESPN Thirty for Thirty of the Bad Boys of Detroit. Which I think, you know, ESPN should be doing like a tie-in here with all these other documentaries that involve characters in The Last Dance. Uh, but also, you know, you're leading up to the Jordan Rides the Bus 30 for 30 about his time in the minor leagues uh, with the Chicago White Sox organization. Which makes sense because Jerry Reinsdorf owned the Chicago White Sox as well, or still owns the Chicago White Sox. I actually listened to a uh, podcast today where they interviewed Terry Francona, the Baseball Tonight podcast, and he was talking about you know, how basically Jordan went, Jordan came into that and how everybody wanted a piece of Jordan. And then Terry Francona was just like, Hey, you want some advice? I have, I got you. If not, I'll leave you alone. And then they kind of became friends for that because he wasn't the only one who's sort of trying to get a piece of him. So I think, you know, building up to that, it made me think of Michael Jordan's baseball days, which, which were, which were what they were, but there's a lot in here about Jordan, the character, which is interesting and the quote unquote darker side of Jordan, if you will. I guess that the competitive nature of Jordan has spilled over into other aspects, right? So they show obviously the scene uh, where he's with this, basically gambling with the security guards where they're trying to throw like a, I don't know if it's a quarter or a dime or a nickel, whatever it is. And the, you know, the closest one to the wall without hitting the wall wins and how a security guard beats him and you know, that kind of stuff. And just to see this ultra competitive guy or how he used to play cards on the back of the bus or not the back of the plane, and, you know, and he, he and Pippen and other guys are like high rolling thousands of dollars. And then, you know, some of the other guys in the team are playing at the front and playing for, you know, loonies or well, dollar, sorry, dollar bills. Wow. Loonies. Look at you. Sorry. Yeah. If you didn't know I was Canadian before you do now. Can I stop you for one second? I, I, I like it. I like the story and I'll come back to the one that you're about to tell. And I know the one you're referring to. I will say though, just so everybody understands, uh, episode five focused on him becoming a global icon and really focusing in honing in on the dark side that comes from the fact that Jordan basically was getting burned out be from having to constantly be on, constantly being mobbed, constantly having to deal with people. And that kind of leads to why he needed an entourage of security, because he couldn't be a person. He couldn't do things. He had to constantly be. And this is still back in the 90s. So obviously today's celebrity is even worse with social media and people can have cell phones in your face and all that as well, on top of what the kind of mobbing and the constant reaching out for attention. And by, up until this point, They've referenced this kind of kind of in a sideways manner throughout, because even when he was earlier in the documentary, when they were in France, you had a guy who was kind of working in the arena where he was going and who was like asking for an autograph. And the security guy's like, get away. <laughs> and he's a person that works there. Yeah. And well, then, I mean, he was he was arguably in some ways still is the biggest athlete in the world. Yeah. And, right? Like that name cachet. And, you know, and it happened through like this. I, I think I can't remember if I told this story on the podcast before. But it was they didn't mention it in the last dance, but it's interesting because Jordan obviously when they went the dream team went to the ninety two Olympics, which is mentioned in in episode five, he obviously was a 
got mobbed there. Although he was able to go, get into the Olympic Stadium and kind of you know have his, have his moment there and obviously on the court stuff. But uh, John Stockton was also part of that team, uh, also a very famous NBA athlete. And uh, John Stockton, in this other documentary that I watched, he's walking down La Rambla, which is like the main sort of pedestrian street in Barcelona with his family. And nobody knows who the hell he is. He's going up to people being like that are wearing like, you know, U.S. Team USA gear or USA Dream Team and saying, hey, you, you know, you're excited. You're following the Dream Team, all that. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, who's your favorite player? Right. And he's like, do you guys know I'm John Stockton? I'm on that team. Right. And people are like, what? He had a level of anonymity. Whereas Jordan had no anonymity there or anywhere else he went, right? Like the scene where he's in his hotel room and he's like, this is the only place I can be me. Because he's like, as soon as I leave here, it's like you're on. And some of it is an act. Uh, obviously not him playing the game, but him, you know, going to doing the interviews and, and constantly being asked, uh, you know, are you going to retire this year? Is this your last year question? You know, obviously it wears on him and he can't, he, he's not allowed to shut it off unless he's in the privacy of his own home. Right. I, it would be amazing, as you said, to see how much other footage of Jordan would be out there about him doing things during his playing days if cell phones were as prevalent then as they are now. Correct. Now, one other thing I'll make as well, and one thing we have to bear in mind, because it's kind of the same caution I've had for this entire documentary, even in the context of this where you have the moment in the hotel room where he makes that confession where he's like, well, basically I live in the hotel room and I go from the hotel room to the arena and blah, blah, blah. He's got a camera there. <laughs> he's got a camera in his face. So even in that degree, like, yeah, quote unquote, be himself, except for the fact that there's a camera in your face and you're on. Fair enough. You have to be. A, so it's one of those things. Everybody has to remember that this was a season where they granted them unprecedented access because where the cameras on the street is one thing where they're, you're the cameras where you're in the hotel room with them. The camera's there and everybody knows it. So everyone responds accordingly, however good, bad, or indifferent that is. Episode five kind of leads into that. And episode six is the one that I'm mostly interested in. So that reason why I stopped you a couple of minutes ago was now in episode six, we really get into the gambling aspect of it and kind of the darker side of Michael Jordan from a personality and competitiveness standpoint. Yeah, well, his outlet. So I'll finish that story. Basically, so he would go to the front of the plane and people are you know playing blackjack for a dollar and they're like, why do you want to play with us? And he's like, because if I win, he's like, I have some of your money in my pocket. Just that crazy competitive nature. Uh, but the best part about this, I think, this this episode, episode six, has got to be the Ahmad Rashad interview where he's basically like, I'm not a degenerate gambler while looking the part, wearing the sunglasses and looking exactly like a degenerate gambler. Yes. And then there's also the like what I love about that is on twofold. So thank you for bringing it up. Uh, we, we talked about it earlier and I said, please make sure you include this because I want to talk about it. The the best part about this for me is yes. So number one, you've got the glasses on and even Ahmad Rashad is like, I don't know if it's the best look for you to be wearing these glasses while having I know. It's true. Yeah. And he's like, you know, Ahmad Rashad is clearly one of his best friends. So you're one of the people that can at least talk to him. So and that's why he was granted like the exclusive interview during this, you know, critical moment in time of the season where Jordan had been otherwise frustrated with the media. So Ahmad Rashad has this access that nobody else really has. And during it, yeah, he looks like he's been he's strung out. And obviously he was able to play. But I also like this justification. He goes, you know, I don't have a gambling problem. You know, if I had a gambling problem, I'd like be pawning off my stuff and, you know, selling my house. And doing all that. I'm like, that doesn't mean you're not a gambling addict. That just means you're not so terrible at it that you've lost everything. Yeah. Or I mean, or you don't do it enough that you've lost everything or you don't gamble in such a way that you could lose everything. Right. Because, I mean, obviously there is the, the example of him going to Atlantic City 
with his dad after after game one, right? Of the the semifinals, the Eastern Conference semifinals or finals with against the Knicks. Yep. Right. Like, but but you when you think of Michael Jordan gambling, and most of the examples they talk about in the documentary episode aren't him going to casinos where your potential to lose a lot of money is huge, right? They're you know him playing cards, him playing golf. No, that's right. And uh, but one of the big things that was emphasized in it is that Michael Jordan is clearly very good at losing money in golf. That's uh, one of those things yeah. where like, and and again, large amounts of money is all relative. You can you can bet a hundred thousand dollars if you've got a hundred million in the bank. A hundred thousand dollars is not exactly the same amount of money as it would be to you and me. Like I said, uh, when you you have to put all of these things into context, the it's still a lot of money by most people's standards, and especially in the late nineties. But by the tail end of Michael Jordan's career, he was the only guy. He was the highest paid player in the NBA in his last season. And I think his last season was like 33, 34 million, which obviously today there are guys that dwarf that. But it only took until the last couple of years where guys started to dwarf that. So going back to the late 90s, it's it's on another planet. And that was the one thing where Jerry Reinsdorf was willing to pay Jordan because he was the meal ticket. Now, obviously not enough. It wasn't enough of a meal ticket to keep the team together, but that's a different conversation. But regardless, Michael Jordan had made money hand over fist, plus the shoes, the endorsements were monstrous. Michael Jordan's brand is worth so much money that it continues to make him money to this day. Michael Jordan hasn't played in years, and people still buy his shoes. So from the gambling perspective, though, like obviously, he, he just seemed to be really hell-bent on having the competition. So from that perspective, I kind of get it. Um, you know, But if you're gambling... it. it I think I think Michael Jordan though misunderstands what a gambling addiction is because his whole thing is um I think I think on he had one line where he basically said he didn't have a gambling addiction he had a um a competing addiction or something like that yeah com- competition yeah which is which might be which to be honest might be his interpretation of what he's talking because in re- because when you think of gambling addiction quote unquote it, it's it's a desire for action. Action meaning you want something something on the line, something at stake. You want there to be a consequence to the thing that you're watching. That's the reason why people gamble on these things. I'll, I'll take this in a bit of a segue for a second, Dave. One of the things that this documentary has done is that it's really done given a bolster to like the sports. I will, I'll say sports memorabilia in general, but I'm really talking about trading cards right now, especially like Michael Jordan cards. And I can tell you there are some really common Michael Jordan cards that have quadrupled or doubled and tripled in value over the last couple of weeks as this documentary has come out. Why? Because suddenly Michael Jordan's profile has been raised. That's part of it. I think part of it also is that there aren't a lot of sports on, so obviously there's a lot of attention on this. Also, there are people who normally would be gambling on sports that have this money sitting and they're like, I need some kind of action. Well, where can I get action? Well, I can buy this sports card and try to sell it for more money. Well, that right there, that transaction, it's it's some kind of action and suddenly there's more money pouring into the hobby than has ever than has been the case in a long time and even as the time that uh, there are people unemployed and presumably less money in the market all these assets keep going up in value so it's been this weird contradiction and i think at least a part of it has to do with the people that simply not having anything to gamble on so they because uh, sports card speculation can be its own form of gambling i feel like it's got given that a boost because they've just found another outlet for their money to go well wow, it's true I mean, if you look at this, because I'm on one of, you know, your favorite sites, ComC, as we speak. Guess what the lowest price is for an autographed Michael Jordan card that's available on that website? Well, ComC, uh, for an autographed Michael Jordan, it's going to be high. Uh, $1,500. $3,329.99. Yeah. No, that sounds about right. All the way up to uh, $15,320. Yeah. Let me give you one to try. Try this one for me. 
Try this. 1990-91 Skybox Michael Jordan. You can just type in Jordan instead of Michael Jordan, and it should get you the result. Skybox, you said, right? Skybox. One word. Yep. Okay. Now, do me a favor. There are a bunch of, there are probably going to be a bunch of them on there. I want you to yep. look for uh, something that is PSA 10. PSA 10. Would that be highest SRP? Probably. There's, there probably will be one on there. Don't worry, folks. I'm editing this down, so you're probably uh, you're probably getting a nice smooth conversation. PSA 10, you said? Yeah. Uh, I don't think they have a PSA 10. Oh, okay, I got you. So they sold a bunch of them. So the point that I was trying to make with that, and like I said, with the magic of editing, this will be very quick for all of you listening. The point that I was trying to make, truthfully, Dave, that card prior to like a month and a half ago, that card is producing the millions. I watched a guy open two boxes and pull five of them. Those cards were worth a dollar ungraded and graded. It was made a PSA 10 was maybe worth 50 or 60 bucks. I've watched them sell for four and $500. Wow. In the course of a couple of weeks, Dave, that thing has not gotten any rarer. <laughs> if anything, people are opening boxes. It might be more common today. I went and bought one like when the first week came out of the Jordan thing because I was getting a chuckle out of it just as a memento for later. And I'll probably uh, take delivery of it in, in a couple of months once the, sh- the shipping can be quicker. I bought it for $4. The box or the card? Just the card. Okay. But because the card is not, the card should not be that valuable. It's a nice looking card. But it's not that valuable, really. However, they have one. They have a couple that are on here for like two dollars and fifty-five cents. Yeah, and but the thing is, like those ones were already going up for fifteen or twenty bucks. And there's other like base cards, really inexpensive, whatever. They're going up forty or fifty, sixty dollars, not graded. Yeah, well, you got people got to spend their money somewhere. Right? And that's basically the point that I was trying to get across. Was some th- something has happened because of the situation that everybody's in. In addition to the fact that suddenly there's a lot of attention to them. And I can tell you the Dennis Rodman cards are up. Scottie Pippen's cards are up. People are actually looking for Phil Jackson cards. Like, it's a desperation, Dave. People are literally like, what can I spend money on? Yeah. So it's been interesting. It's been a, kind of an interesting... Th- it's been a phenomenon that is actually related to this documentary because it didn't start until the documentary came out. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. That was just an interesting point to mention as well. Yeah, just, uh, just anything that brings... A- I will say that the documentary, if nothing else, has brought a lot more attention to Michael Jordan. Oh, and um, I want to finish the last dance thing, Dave. But now that I'm go- now that I remember, I'm going to I, I got to tell you the most ridiculous story about this. What this documentary has done and what the lack of live sports have done. I'll make a note here, Please. but I, I will mention that at the end. What else do you have for the last okay. dance? Okay. You know, I think the only other thing that I found interesting is something we we'd sort of talked about offline a little bit, but the idea um, that comes out of the Tony Kukoc interview where he's talking about how he didn't immediately come over and play when he was drafted because he's making more money in Europe. Right. And, and to think about the leagues that, you know, you can make a good living in Europe playing basketball. And back then, uh, depending on sort of where you were on the depth chart, you could actually make more money. Right. Obviously he event Kukoc eventually comes to the bulls and, 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 you know, makes a good living there. But, you know, he said basically, well, I was going to, he's like, I could get paid as a rookie in the NBA or I could make more money in Europe. Now that's not the only reason. Obviously there was the war in Yugoslavia, uh, you know, and, and he was fair enough. I get that. But, but Dave, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But Dave, uh, I, I totally get your point and it's a very valid one and it's a legitimate one to bring up. But Dave, um, as kind of a last point for the last dance, why are we talking about Kukuch's money? Who cares? The, I, I'm more interested. In, like, do you, you realize, and I, you saw it, but it's like, you realize that, that Jordan and Pippen abused Tony Kukuch as kind of their way of punishing Jerry Krause. <laughs> yes. Like that was, a, to me, that the, the Tony Kukoc angle 
that that I thought was fascinating about that whole bit. Like, here's the thing, Croatia war, yeah, yeah, whatever, I don't care. But like, they literally abused this man as a way of punishing him, not because they hated Tony Kukoc. They had no personal issue with Tony Kukoc. They, because Jerry Krause liked Tony Kukoc, they're like, we must destroy this man. Yeah, well, I mean, they had such a beef with, with Krause, it was, and they really couldn't get back. I mean, they're not going to sabotage the Bulls season. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, let's just beat him around in, you know, in the Olympics. Yeah, that. but I just found that to be tremendously hilarious. And I, I feel like let's take a minute here because I think that the gambling aspect of it was a big piece. That was huge. And the other aspect of it, though, that was really amusing to me is just they, they finally went into a little bit more depth discussing the sheer, um, you know, like I said, in the, in the rise of the the pain of celebrity. You know, the book, The Jordan Rules, that came out and started to kind of outline some of Michael Jordan's issues where he'd be really contentious with his teammates and be really demanding and be basically abusive. And, um, you know, Jordan blaming Horace Grant at the, even at this point for, um, you know, issues related to that. And a lot of the basically the way he treated some of his teammates like crap. It was um, is very, is very amusing to me and also very interesting. Not surprising, because clearly when you're that psychotically competitive, you're basically going to. Uh, go off the deep end a lot. And I think that's been made really emphasized by kind of this whole documentary in the pursuit of victory, Jordan would do or say anything that he felt he needed to in order to motivate or threaten or bully or whatever. Yeah, totally. And I thought that was a, like, that was a very strong theme of episode five to go along with the rise of the fame and all that. And uh, I've enjoyed that kind of in the talking head shows, there's been kind of a renewal of not only his rivalry with Isaiah Thomas, which has been entertaining, but also even Horace Grant, like Horace Grant has some serious issues, with Michael Jordan, <laughs> and he was on his team and they won together. Correct. That's what makes it funnier. I enjoy, I enjoy it thoroughly. So I'm going to segue out of this, but that's fair enough, Dave. That sounds good. So that's kind of episode five and six of The Last Dance. We'll have more to say on the next episodes upcoming. I'll take a couple of notes myself because there's definitely some good stuff. These episodes, though, seem pretty straightforward to me, and there is certainly some entertainment value. But Dave, let me uh, – so we're done with The Last Dance, but I'm still going to segue this in in the Jordan category. Dave, would you like to know what uh, the most ridiculous segment – on a talking heads thing in this uh, sports devoid landscape has come to. Absolutely, I would. Please tell me. So on Undisputed with uh, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, which I haven't watched a lot of, admittedly, because frankly, it's gotten, they've gone into the Jordan LeBron thing so many times that it's like, oh, for God's sake, like you guys, maybe you need to take a break. You need a vacation because if every single episode is Jordan and LeBron, Jordan and LeBron, and it usually is, but usually there's other sports happening to offset it a little bit. Now it's like, you guys are literally going to talk about Jordan and LeBron for two straight hours? My God. Get over it, right? Yeah. Yeah. with a sprinkle of the Dallas Cowboys, well, I'm like, congratulations, no one cares about them either. But um, they've gotten to the point of desperation, uh, Dave. They literally had a segment where they were discussing that a magazine or a website or something, I don't remember what it was, the exact details of this part, but they were doing a ranking of all-time greatest basketball shoes, which led into a protracted discussion about basketball shoes, which led into a protracted discussion about Michael Jordan, which somehow involved, uh, you know, jabs at uh, LeBron James. And I was like, even in the shoe thing, we ended up with the Jordan LeBron. They can't get away from it. Nope. No matter what happens from every single conceivable angle. But Dave, they had a segment, a 15 minute segment talking about shoes. You know, your heart out for content when. And I like shoes. I like, I, you know, I like some of that stuff. And I, I, 
I've gotten more into into running shoes and sneakers and things. Like I actually bought one uh, this week that I'm going to have delivered for next week. But I'm but I but I buy them to wear them, so they they have a practical purpose. Mind yeah. you, I like having I like having options. You know what? Maybe I want to wear the blue ones today, or maybe I want to wear the red ones today, or whatever. But it's not like I have five thousand pairs, and I don't need that. But but it's like whatever I buy, I'll, I'll wear. But um, but yeah. the thing is, like, we literally had a 15 minute segment on a television channel talking about shoes because it gave us some kind of a Jordan LeBron angle. Oh gosh, forget. Yeah, speaking of, you want to hear another Jordan? This isn't really a Jordan LeBron angle, but I thought you would be interested in this. Go. So uh, one of the things I've been doing to try and get my basketball fix is I've been playing a lot more 2K, which is not something I've I've done a lot of previously, but. Anyway, so I decided, you know what, this week I want to play, because they have, um, you can play on it, like you can play obviously the team as to, as it is now, or or whatever year the game is, or you can play like the all-time whatever team from any, you know, uh, franchise, or you can play various years, yeah. right? You could play like the 95 Raptors, I don't know if that's on there or whatever, or you could play like, you know, the 97, 98 Bulls or whatever. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to play the all-time Bulls. Uh, because I want to play as Jordan. And honestly, I, it felt a little bit like Tecmo Bowl playing as Jordan because it was like literally un, and And if you've played 2K, it's a hard game to actually master because the, the, you can control every aspect of it. And, you know, you're shooting with the joystick and trying to get the shot, the arc of the shot right. It's ridiculous. However, it was like literally everything was going in. Jordan had like more points than the other team by himself. It was, it was, I was like, like, obviously they didn't run out of the way and, you know, like tech mobile and you can't obviously run down one cause you know, the rules still apply, but I was, I was like, this feels a little bit like tech mobile playing as Michael Jordan. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he's OP, you know, overpowered as far as the game is concerned. Although Dave, I, I would kind of make one point. Like I can totally understand and appreciate what you're saying as far as that's concerned. But Dave, let's just be clear. And this is a concept that I, I like to explain to my younger brother many a times. There is such a thing as a video game prime and we'll wear all well, well past it. Oh, for sure. But at this point, it's like, what? You expect me to press two buttons at the same time? Outrageous. Seriously, though, that's the one thing I'm like, this game, like, I just want to press a button and have the shot go in, like, let's say 70% of the time. Right? Yeah. You know, Uh, but that is not how this game works. And it is difficult. Uh, But I will still play apparently more now as the Chicago Bulls with Jordan on them because he was literally unstoppable. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. But here's the truth. Like, uh, that's basically why I, why I retired from playing MLB The Show. Because uh, as time went on, like, it, there is an increase. To make it more realistic, there's an increasing emphasis on using more of the buttons on the, on the on you know, more of the buttons on the controller. And the truth is, uh, my favorite years of MLB The Show was, like, I want to say, like, 07, 08, and 09. And really, it was, all you needed to do was get the timing right. Unless you cranked up the difficulty, like, really high and then adjusted sliders and did all that. Really, you just need to get timing. So as long as you swung at the right time, you could basically, you know, jack home runs all over the ballpark. Once it started adjusting it, we're like, okay, so now you're going to use the one, the one stick in order to put the ball where you put the, put the circle where you think the ball is going to be. And then you're also going to try to predict the pitch. And if you do both of those things and get the angle just right, and then you can hit the home run. Otherwise, you know, um, you'll hit like a grounder, even though you made, even though you got the timing right and made solid contact. Yeah. So it's like, uh, so at that point I was like, all right, look, I'm out. Could I figure this out? Yes, I could. But uh, it's like, unfortunately, I'm not 12. If I was 12, I'd be owning this shit. You know why I know that? Because when I was 10 and 8 and 12 and 15 and all that, I could be playing a game where I needed quick reflexes and it was like, no problem. Jump, 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 slide, whatever. Easy. Now it's like, all right, 
I've got a delayed brain reaction between when my brain says push this button and when I actually push the button. Yeah. It doesn't totally. feel like it's a long lag, but I assure you in video game terms, I may as well have taken 45 minutes to make a decision. Yeah. Yep. So that's what being past your video game prime is like, folks. And at that point, it's like, nah, I'm retired, man. I'm moving on. Well, pretty much. But you know what? That's how we entertain ourselves sometimes. But I agree. I am well past my uh, video game prime. Not, I'm not, I will not argue that in any way, shape or form. And it's the fastest way you'll learn that anybody who wants to give it a shot. If you're, if you're there, once you get into your thirties and whatever, unless you're playing consistently, if you keep playing consistently, well, you know, if you do anything consistently, you'll be better at it. But as soon as you do that and you got other things that you're doing and you're not playing all the time, try to go back to a game you, you dominated at one point and see how frustrating that exercise is. Except for Duck Hunt. You will always be a master at Duck Hunt, Carlos. Well, I, I had drunken Duck Hunt. I might have blindfolded Duck Hunt. I can't promise you I didn't. I'm just saying, if, if, if Carlos ever you know is now talking to somebody after this conversation and being like, hey, you know what? I know I'm past my video game prime, but hey, do you want to play some Duck Hunt? He is trying to hustle you. Well, if you're playing for money, you're damn right I am. So, Michael Jordan, listen. I can totally kill you at this duck hunt thing. We'll play for $500,000 a round. Carlos, why do you have a mansion? Thank Michael Jordan. That would be pretty sweet. It would be great. That's the problem. The problem is he'd probably take the action. He probably would. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's good. I think we got a good solid uh, grouping. And uh, you believe it. We, we, we cleared an hour on that. We got Jay Cutler's divorce and end with drunken duck hunt and me hustling Michael Jordan. That is the uh, Necessary Nonsense podcast, everybody.